it's, it's a, there's a beautiful phrase in the beginning of Exodus, um, I believe it's around chapter 2, where God says he heard the groanings of the Israelites and he knew them. That's a beautiful, beautiful word. God knew his people. He knew them intimately, and he didn't just know of them. He wasn't just aware of their suffering. He knew them, and he said, I have chosen them. I care for them. I'm going to, I'm going to redeem my people. Um, that psalm actually leads, is going to lead us into... Um, uh, the New Testament, actually. So don't get, don't get too much at home in Psalm 105, but if you have your Bibles, um, turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. We are going to start a uh, series right off the bat here. Um, a, 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 a message series called A Community on Mission in a World of Unbelief. A Community on Mission in a World of Unbelief. And um, 1 Peter is one of my favorite letters in the New Testament. Um, he's got so, much, so many great things to say um, about what it means to be the people of God. What it means to be a community that is on mission in the world. In a world that doesn't always look with favor on Christ. It doesn't accept the good news. It doesn't live according to the good news. And it's sometimes very hostile to those who are trying to live faithfully before God. So that's a lot of what Peter is, is talking about. And so over the, over the coming weeks, we're just going to dig into this letter. And we're going to let it unfold and see what Peter has to say to us about how we're going to live our lives in this world. First Peter is um, what's called an encyclical letter. That's just kind of a, I guess, a fancy term for a letter that's going to, supposed to be passed around from church to church. Um, right at the beginning, in the first couple of verses here, we're going to read in a second, we, we see that this letter is written by Peter, who calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, if you know the story, you know Peter. It's Peter. Peter was a disciple. He's one of, one of the twelve disciples. He was... He was one of Jesus' closest companions. He was in the inner circle of three disciples that, that Jesus spent most of his time with. So Peter knew Jesus firsthand. He saw how he lived his life. He heard his teaching. He knew the gospel. And uh, when God empowered him for service and ministry, after his ascension, Peter spoke the word boldly and became an apostle, a sent one, to proclaim the word. And we see also that Peter's writing this to a whole bunch of believers in all of these strange places that um, most of them that we don't, we have a hard time uh, uh, pronouncing. But over there, what's, where is modern Turkey, was a place that they called Asia Minor back in the day. And um, so all of these little regions all over that part of the world, this is who Peter was, was, was writing to. And it's interesting, I just wanted to point this out, it's interesting that, that Peter doesn't use the word church anywhere in his letter. He doesn't talk about the people as a church. He has a lot of other great terms for them. And there's a reason for that. 
And as we, again, as we dig through, we're going to see a couple of those terms today. But then as we go, we make our way through the rest of the letter, we're going to see that Peter has a real purpose in saying what he says about the people that he's writing to. Because he wa- it's, all of these words are just full of meaning for what he wants um, his readers to understand and what he wants us to understand. So let me give you two questions as we're, um, as we're starting, as our, before I read this. Um, I believe that in this opening section, this, this greeting of the letter, um, where Peter's introducing the letter and getting ready to tell them what he wants them to know, I really believe that he's trying to answer two questions. The first question is, who are these people? So who are they? Who are these people that he's talking to? And the second question is, what are they about? So who are they and what are they about? And I think those are the two questions that Peter is trying to answer right here at the, right here at the very start of this letter. So we're just going to camp out. <clears throat> I might need to refill my water in a second here. Um, we're going to camp out in those first two verses, and this kind of set up the entire um, series for the next few weeks and what we're going to learn from it, because it's so, so important what Peter says at the beginning of this letter. So let me read verses 1 and 2 out loud, and um, you follow along silently in your Bible. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, just because that's what I'm comfortable with, but if you have an NIV or a King James or or whatever you might have, just follow along with it, and we'll try to work it out along the way. 1 Peter 1, 1 through 1-2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look just at these these two words and, and we, we dig in and we, we try to go deep here, God, I pray that you would <coughs> speak to us, that your Holy Spirit will empower us to uh, understand your word and to understand what it means to us. Lord God, I know you have a challenge for us this week because you've challenged me and my view of what the church is and what we're all about. So God, I just pray that you will speak to us and transform us by your word this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. We talked about Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Let's let's take a look at what he says um, to his readers. Notice that he calls them elect exiles. And, uh, and uh, actually, um, what's interesting there is, um, is we, I, I think if you look at that, you probably think of elect as, as, uh, as an adjective, right? It's a, mo- a modifier of exiles, right? So these are exiles who are elect, or that type of thing. But it's interesting that, that in the original translations, that the emphasis is on elect in the Greek. And I don't want to get... I, I'm, just 
challenge me on this that I don't talk about the Greek text too much every week, okay? So, because I don't want to get too caught up in the weeds. But I wanted to point that out because I want you guys to know that, that what Peter is really trying to emphasize here is that the people that the people he's writing to are chosen by God. They are elect by God. That God said, I want those people, and I'm going to choose them. Um, and that the fact, is, the, the, the emphasis then is on a connection to the story, the story that we just heard in Psalm 105. So when the readers opened their scrolls up, or the, the parchment, or whatever they had that they opened up, that they saw that, and immediately they began to think, who do I, what's the, what's the reference to elect? Who is God's elect people? They're thinking of the history of Israel. They're thinking of that story of Israel. They're thinking about the big story in which God chose a people. God chose Noah. Did anyone see that movie this weekend? Well, go see it if you want to. I don't, it doesn't bother me. But, but Noah, God chose Noah, right? He chose Noah. Out of all the people in the world, the world was corrupt. He chose Noah. He saved Noah and his family. What did he, who else did he choose? Abraham. He chose Abraham. He chose, he chose Isaac. He didn't choose Ishmael. He chose Isaac. He chose Jacob. He didn't choose Esau. But Jacob was chosen and, and became Israel. And, and out of all of the tribes of Israel, he chose Judah to be the, the tribe from which the king came, King David. Chosen over Saul, who was from another tribe. And who came from King David? Who was the, the chosen one of God? Jesus. And we see all through history, when we see this elect and we see this chosen, the, the readers for Peter were going, there's a connection there with this huge story, this, this big story, the, the great story, the true story. And we are a part of it. We are God's chosen people too. We are God's elect as well. Um, Jesus calls believers elect. You read... You find that word throughout the Gospels. Jesus talks about his, his followers, and he talks about the church as being elect. Paul, when he's writing his, all of his letters, he talks about the churches as being elect. And he uses the noun form of it, and he uses the verb form of it. And he says that they were elected by God, they were chosen by God, and they are the chosen people, the chosen ones. So the, all of this is, to, is to, to, see us, to have us connect with that great story of Israel. Exiles. Well, what would, what would they have thought about when they thought about, when they heard that term exile? They would have immediately thought back to, well, the history of Israel. They would have thought about how, how God's people were, well, way back during the time of the Exodus, they were sojourners. They were out of the land that Abraham had promised them, and in a sense they were exiled in Egypt. And then you have the great exile when the the when well God oh gosh Deuteronomy I don't have the reference for you but in Deuteronomy God's saying look if you will follow my covenants and you'll obey me and you'll 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 fulfill your the covenant uh, as my people then you'll live in the land but if you don't and you rebel and you turn away from me and you follow other gods what's going to happen you will leave the land of promise. You will be exiled into a foreign land where you, where you will be strangers. 
And so what happens, the northern kingdom of Israel was exiled to Assyria in the 8th century BC, and then back, then about two, almost two centuries later, Judah was exiled into Babylon, and that was the big one. That was the big one. That one purged the land. That one destroyed Jerusalem. That one destroyed the temple. So this, they, then, then, then the nation of Israel became, what, sojourners. They became strangers in a foreign land. Um, they became exiles. And so Peter is choosing these terms very carefully because he wants us to have a connection to that story and wants to see our lives and, the, and who we are as not only chosen by him, but also living as strangers in a land that, that's just not, it's not our final home. This world, this country that we live in, we, we, talk, about, we talk about America and the United States as a great nation, and rightly we should, but it's not our final home. That's not it. Okay? The nation of the, the, the United States is not going to save us. America is not going to save us. We have a Messiah from heaven. We have a King from heaven. And He is our Savior. And we are His people. So before any other flag gets waved, Christ is enough for us. He is who we call King. So, Peter's first concern here was one of identity. One of identity. Once again, he was trying to answer the question... Who are they? Who are these people? And for the readers, they were saying, when they were reading that, they were going, well, let me see. Who am I according to this? Who am I according to this? They are a new community chosen by God and on mission in the world. A new community. They are a people. They are God's elect people in community Chosen by God, because that's what, that's what election is all about. Chosen by God. And on mission in the world. Well, we'll see how that mission is played out in, in the next little section. But the, the, the fact is that this is the identity. The identity that, that Peter gives to his readers is our identity as well. It's the identity of all, all believers, and it's the identity of the church. That's what the church is all about. So before the church is an institution, or some organization, or a place, or a building, um, or anything else like that, it's a people. The church is a people chosen by God in community with one another on mission for His purposes. He says that they're, in the, they're part of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and that right there is just an unfolding of that idea of exile. The dispersion is a is a there's a there's a beautiful Greek word called diaspora, and in fact some of some translations of our of our Bibles, English translation actually put that word in there. Diaspora it means that the people were dispersed throughout the land when the when the Jews were exiled they were dispersed throughout the land they lived in all of these different places. And if you remember the story of the early church, where were, they, where were they formed? In Jerusalem, right? And so in Jerusalem they stayed and they ministered for, for many, for many uh, well actually probably several years um, in the first few chapters of Acts until persecution came and they were dispersed. There, the diaspora occurred for the church as well. And they left 
and they were they were throughout all of these regions, like I said, um, where modern day Turkey is. But look what else he says. Let's let's answer the next question. What are these people about? So we know who they are. They're elect. They're exiles. But what are they about? He says that they are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This is a this is a great word. Um, it's actually the word that we get, the, our modern word, prognosis. Prognosis. When you go to the doctor and you get a prognosis, well, the doctor's basically saying, uh, I can, I'll tell you your future. I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'll tell you what it's going to be. Okay, this, is what, this is what life is going to be like for you for the next few years. Um, my father-in-law recently got a prognosis. You've got about, well, we'd say statistically you've got about 14 months to live with this pancreatic cancer. As he got the prognosis, the foretelling of the future, the knowledge of what's going to come ahead. Um, the beautiful thing about this, though, when, when we see the word foreknowledge, and it's talking about God's foreknowledge, it's so much more richer. So much richer than just, well, he knows in advance what's going to happen. Um, what's... what's what is, uh, what is intended in God's foreknowledge is this idea of divine intention. That he's got a divine plan and intention for those whom he foreknew. Um, that his knowledge, God's knowledge in the Bible, just like, just like he knew the suffering of his people when they were in Egypt... God's knowledge is intimate acquaintance. God's knowledge carries the weight of choice. That he's choosing to do something about a people. When he knows somebody, he's saying, I'm choosing to know you. I'm choosing to be in your life and make myself known to you so that you'll be a people. The church, in this sense, as according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, the church is a community that is chosen and known by God. That's what's so beautiful about this phrase here. That's what the church is. It's the choice of God the Father. Um, how many of you have seen the movie Ben-Hur? If you haven't, you should go You should go see it. Well, you don't, can't go to see it, but get it on video or Netflix or whatever. It's a, it's a long movie, but it's a great movie. There's a lot of really, really good stuff in that. Um, but one, I, I was thinking about this, uh, you know, God choosing, God the Father choosing and knowing um, a people, uh, reminded me of, in the, in the story of Ben-Hur, um, Judah Ben-Hur gets um, sold into slavery, gets arrested, and he, gets on, he goes onto a galley ship, right? He's, he's a slave and he's rowing, and then there's this great sea battle, and what he ends up doing is he saves... This, uh, this I, I don't know if he's captain or some kind of commander, saves this commander's life, and the two of them are alive on a, on a raft, um, and, uh, and he keeps them alive so that he can row his raft. You know, there's that, there's that line in it. You, uh, we keep you alive to serve this ship. And, um, but what happens is this man, Quintus Arius, then turns around and he says, I, I don't have a son, and I want you to be my son. And he chooses 
chooses Ben-Hur, and he gives his name to Ben-Hur, and he says, now you're the son of Arius. You're my son. And now you have my identity, and everything I own is yours. And really, that's, that's the picture of, of election that we get from the New Testament. That God the Father says, you are mine, and everything I have is yours now. And so you have all of the rights of sonship. You are part of this family. You are in a new community. That's, that's the kind of foreknowledge that God has of us. So, but what, what makes this uh, person chosen? Look at the next phrase. Um, this foreknowledge is chosen, is known by God, is made possible in the sanctification of the Spirit. And so sanctification, you've seen this word before, and you probably already know, it has to do with holiness. It has to do with consecration by the Spirit. So the Spirit is the one who consecrates and makes holy God's chosen people. Um, so, that the, so that the church is, is a community that is now set apart or separated from the rest of the world for his purposes, to be holy. That's, what it, that's the idea, that's what it meant to be holy, right? To be consecrated, to be set apart, to be separated for God's purposes and God's use. To be on mission for God, in a sense. And look what they were separated for. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Um, the, uh, the phrasing in the original text is for obedience and sprinkling. Those two words go right together. They go right together for obedience and sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. The obedience had to do with people's, first of all, people's initial response to the good news of Jesus. When they heard the good news of Jesus. They heard the story of his life and death and resurrection. They said, what do we need to do? That is an amazing story. What should we do? And what did Peter tell his, his, first, uh, his first congregation, his first uh, audience when he preached to them? He said, you need to repent. And you need to put your faith in, in the good news of Jesus. You need to put your faith in what Jesus has done. Repent and believe in him. The message, which is the same message that Jesus himself preached at the beginning of his ministry. So obedience, uh, for Peter, I think here means, first of all, entrance into the community. Entrance into the community by faith, uh, by repentance and faith in Jesus. But it also means living according to Jesus' teaching. Obedience to Jesus. Um, remember what Jesus said in John 14, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus said over and over again that, that if you're my people, you're going to obey me. You're going to do what I said. You're going to do what I've taught. So, um, so not only entrance into the community, but also living according to Jesus' teaching. And then, he, then this idea of sprinkling. Once again, I think his, his readers would have thought, would have went back to that story. Remember the story of Israel. What, was, what, what did blood have to do with Israel? What did sprinkling have to do with Israel? It was all about those sacrifices that they offered over and over again, right? The sacrificial system that, in which they offered these sacrifices, um, that, that death and the blood of these animals led to purification, led to cleansing, led to God's people and things 
that were ready to be on mission for God and His purposes. So for people's, for, for Peter's readers, um, cleansing really was about removing the old life of sin by Jesus' sacrificial death and then making a people ready to live for Him. So what is the church in this sense? The church is a community that is living now for Jesus. The church is a, a community that is obedient and a, a church that is living on mission for Jesus. Let's look at that final phrase, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Um, this, uh, this is a, an easy phrase to, to skip over because we see it so often in all of the letters and we just like, well, let's just get through that in order so we can get to the, the real meat of the story. You know, like, okay, we, we're, we're spending an, an entire message on this these first two verses, but what about the rest? Let's get to the rest of the story. But the fact is that, that the reality is that, that it's through the grace given to us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that we actually have peace. Um, and that that peace can be increased to us. That it can be multiplied to us. Um, peace was, was the Christian's way of remembering the promise that God made to Israel of shalom. This idea of total well-being. Not just an absence of war, not just an absence of violence or, you know, anti-peace, but a, a total well-being of, of the person, of their family, of their lives, of their livelihoods, everything about a person. So total well-being, that's shalom. And I know that it's probably even much, much more, could be stated even much more eloquently than I have. But it recalls Jesus' words to his people. In John 10, he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is not just, okay, you're going to be off the hook for your sins. This is not just, hey, this is your ticket out of hell. This is abundant life. Life like you've never experienced it before. He said, these things, in John 15, he said, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. If our, if our lives are not full of joy, I think there is something wrong. To claim to be in Christ, and to not live full lives, to not live abundant lives, to not live with fullness of joy, I think we're missing something about who we are as a community on mission for God. I think we're missing something about the grace and the peace that is intended to be multiplied to us. Grace and peace are an offer of, of real life, of true, or full joy and of true peace. It's through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we all receive it. It's through our encountering the story of Jesus in the Bible. We're to receive it when we obey the good news through repentance and belief and then join, join Him on mission. So, Peter's questions in this opening section. Who are they? Um, and what are they about? I think that's our questions too. As, as we start our life of worship together as the River Church, we need to answer these questions. Who are we? 
And what are we about? Who are we? We're the people of God. We are, we are the community of His people, chosen by Him and on mission for His purposes. And, and quite frankly, we're living in a world that's not our ultimate home. It's not the end. This is not, this is not the end-all, be-all. This life, for us, eventually will end, and we will go on. But we don't know what the future holds. God knows the future. But we do know this, that we belong to Him if we are part of His community. So that's what the River Church is. It's a community of believers on mission for God in this world. And our world right here, right now, is, is the community of Moxie. Um, who are there? What are we? What are we about? I think we're a community who's known by God. We're separated from the world. This is, this is a tricky one because it, we're still in the world. We still, we, there's much to love here and much to appreciate about God's creation and His people and all of the image bearers who are around us who don't claim the name of Christ but, but, but nonetheless still bear His image. Um, we, we've got to learn how to wrestle with that and how we're to live separated and holy lives while still being a part of God's mission. And then, of course, we're living for Jesus, living in obedience to Him and, and His commands. So, let me ask you a few questions. And um, ask you to, I'm going to ask you to just pray about them. And we're going to take a moment to pray in a second. Um, and uh, I, I, want, I, want to, I want to know, where are you guys out in these areas? What, what might God be saying to you through His Word this morning about these things? Are you actually living in community on mission? Now, a lot of this stuff needs to be unpacked, and we will unpack it in the next you know, several weeks as, we, as Peter unpacks it for his readers, and then we, we come to understand it. But I want you to think right now. Would you characterize your life by living in community with God's people on a mission? How might knowing that you have been chosen by God affect your view of yourself and your view of others? How is, how is being known by God, or, or excuse me, being chosen by God affecting how you live your life? How is being known by God affecting your life and how you view yourself and how you view others. What would, look, what would it look like for you to live separated from the world? What would that look like? And finally, in what ways are you living for Jesus? Living in obedience to what He's commanded. In what ways are you living for Jesus? And, and what changes do you need to make to that? I mean, that's, that's heavy. These are, these, are, these are not easy questions, but they're questions that as we encounter this story of what God is doing and what God has done, we have to ask ourselves, well, how am I living in that story? How is my life affected by this? How am I, we use the old word, applying? How am I applying God's word to my life? Well, one of the ways that we're doing that with the River Church, and we're trying to make this, we're trying to make this, I don't know about easy, but we're trying to provide 
a way in which we can experience just this. Um, one of the ways is through missional communities. They, these are these are our groups that are that meet in homes, and um, we grow together and we do life together, and we 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 look and listen to the story, and we try to figure out okay, how do I need to conform my life to to the story? So if missional communities is one way that we're doing that, and so and which is this is where you need to know who to talk to, you know, how, talk to the other members of the core group about, well, how are you doing this? How can we be in community with you all? Um, and the other way is through discipling relationships. You know, Jesus said that, uh, he, he told his disciples to go and make disciples. And that, that was, that, that command is an ongoing command. It's a generational command. To make disciples, the implication is that a disciple makes a disciple. And when you make a disciple, that disciple makes a disciple. And so we've decided, well, we need to be in relationships with each other, where we're walking together, where we're challenging each other. So we get two men meeting together, um, two women meeting together, um, in relationships with one another, to where they're holding each other accountable, they're helping each other. How can we understand God's Word and what it means in my life, and how can we support each other and walk with each other? Those are just a couple of ways that we are trying to answer this question. We're trying to be a community on mission for God. And so, so make sure that you talk to, um, talk to the members of our core team to find out more about that. Um, but let me pray. Let me pray for us all. As, as you're reflecting on what God might be speaking to you about, we're going to pray, and then we're going to, I'm going to um, ask our men to, um, to kind of guide us through um, a, a time where we're going, to re- we're going to receive from God, we're going to receive communion, and I'll, I'll kind of, um, I'll share a little bit from the Word um, about that, and then we'll uh, have an opportunity to, to give. Um, oh, you know, the the River Church, it, this is it. This is what, what you see is what you get. Um, uh, this is what we're all about. Um, but if God lays it on your heart to give, um, I, I want to make sure that you have an opportunity. But I also want you to know that that little card that, um, that was handed out by our, our greeters um, uh, when you came in, um, well, there's... there's oh, thank you. Um, there, the, there was a little one. Did you get that little one? Okay, we'll make sure you get one. Uh, this card is something that you can use just to get have information um, and contact information. You can also use it to share it with somebody else if you didn't receive that. There's another little one. Um, one of you guys want to hold that? Oh, there you go. There you go. So there's there's another little one right here, and and you know make that your offering. Yeah, that's right. Um, make that your offering this morning um, if if. If that's how you feel led, but we just want to make sure that we have a way to to get in touch with you and, and contact you. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll move into a time of of uh, communion and a response through giving as well. Lord God, uh, you are a great God. You love us. You have called us. We are your elect exiles, living in Moxie, Washington, living in the Yakima Valley. God. This is who we are, um, and what we are about is a people who are on mission for you. Um, known by you, chosen by you, separated from the world, living in obedience to Jesus. 
Lord God, well, we need help. We need help in that. God, um, we ask that, that you will empower us to be your people, to be in community with one another. God, we thank you for your son. Thank you for the grace and the peace that you offer through his death and his life. And I just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.